Hello and welcome, citizens, to show number five of Citizens of Tech. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Citizens of Tech. We are still looking for some good techie book recommendations, so if you have a book to recommend to the Citizens of Tech community, feel free to tweet it to us at Citizens of Tech. We have a bit of a divergence from our usual show format today. Normally, we look at the tech of present, past, and future, and we will resume our normal format after this two-part series. Today, however, we're taking a bit of a deep dive on game development, specifically MMORPGs, that's massively multiplayer online role-playing games, and yet more specifically, one MMORPG, which is currently in development called The Saga of Leucemia. An MMORPG is essentially some variation of Dungeons & Dragons online with friends or strangers, and sometimes strangers that become friends. I had a chance to sit down with my good friend Jeff Pugilis, whom I met in just such an MMORPG, and interview Tim Anderson and Giovanni Martello from the Saga of Leucemia team. What follows is a slightly condensed version of our discussion about the world they're creating and the sources of inspiration they've drawn upon during the first stages of development. And as it's still in development and at an early stage at that, much is still up for debate on the development side of things, but we were able to flesh out some design concepts with them and so forth. Tim joined us via voice chat from Spain. Without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, Tim, why don't you start off by giving us some background on the first big question. What was the onus for making the Saga of Leucemia? Basically, this actually started off uh, in the late 90s as, uh, interestingly enough, a D&D campaign uh, with some of my high school buddies. Uh, we were all living together in a house for uh, about six months, summer, and uh, over the years, it just kind of evolved from there. It continued to grow, and then uh, when I moved to Bulgaria in January of 2008, I had the opportunity to move and kind of transition uh, careers, and I started to write for a living in, in, in when I was in Bulgaria, and I started off doing science fiction and, and fantasy. The very first short story I ever sold was a uh, thieves' tale based out of Fingless Mirror, which is the capital city um, of uh, the world that Saga of Leucemia is based in. And uh, as I started selling more short stories throughout 2008, that kind of evolved into me creating a draft for four books that were going to become a, a high fantasy series. And then I started working on the first book and I got about 12 chapters in before my uh, contract writing career began to take off doing website content. And that kind of took priority because it was making a hell of a lot more money than the short stories were making. So I transitioned over and I kind of put it all on the back burner and then last, uh, March, basically, in 2014, my wife had an unexpected surgery, which kind of sidelined our, our travel blog, which is my day job, and I had some downtime. And at the time, I was playing uh, Project 1999, which is an EverQuest 1 emulator server with some friends. And I kind of sat down and said, you know what, I've got, it looks like I'm going to have like a year of time on my hands with my wife, wife recuperating. I might as well finish this series of books. Um, and one thing kind of led to another, and I decided that rather than just finish the series of books as, as books, um, my brother had been working in, in Unity for about a year at that point, 
And we kind of decided, you know, no one's really creating a game that we want to play. We're, we're coming back to an emulator for Pete's sake. Um, that kind of says something about the genre of MMORPGs today. <laughs> that we can't find anything that we like because we're the old school gamers. And um, it was just kind of one of those things where it was like, well, we might as well just kind of develop our own. And so we sat down and started talking about it. And um, that kind of led into deciding we were actually going to do it. So we created a design document uh, based on the, the story of the books, and then that took off from there. All of us at the time were really big into the, the Pantheon Rise of the Fallen game, which was it, it still is in development. Obviously, it's had its, had its ups and downs, but uh, they're still coming along with what they're doing. And then basically, I think around... May or June of last year, we just got so busy with what we were doing with Saga of Leucemia that we just weren't able to play on P99 anymore. And we've just kind of, since then, I think we're about 14 months in now, basically. Um, and we've been working on the game nonstop since then. So we're shooting for an old school, you know, I can kind of give you a little bit of background on what we're doing here. Obviously, we mentioned Pantheon, and, and one of the things they're doing is they're trying to be, and I know... Eric, when you had written your article, um, gave us goosebumps when you called us the spiritual successor to EverQuest, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but we actually kind of feel that, that Pantheon is more of the spiritual successor than we are because they're trying to kind of follow in that Pantheon slash Vanguard vein. Mm. Um, whereas we're trying to blend – what we're doing is we're blending um, basically the classic Dungeons & Dragons experience – We've said since day one that you don't sit down to play D&D with just you and the DM. It's never about just two people. D&D is always about a group of friends sitting down together with a planned session that's planned out a week or two in advance. You put aside a Friday afternoon or a Saturday night or a Sunday day, and then you all sit around the table, and it's six or eight people, and you sit there for the next six to eight hours, and that's what you do. That's your D&D campaign. And we said, you know, what if we took that? Because this game world that I've created, this 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 lore and everything else is based on a D&D campaign. So we said we want to keep those core principles, but meld that with the classic EverQuest 1 old school MMORPG experience where it's all about the group content. Um, and it's it's all about epic quest lines and exploration and going out there and, and doing things with a group as opposed to all the single serving quests and single serving games that exist today where you know instant dungeon finders pair you up with someone based on your dps capabilities you see those people for 15 minutes you do a quote unquote hard mode run in 20 minutes and then you never see those people ever again and and that to us is not an mmorpg that's that's a single player game you're not talking to people you're not part of a community you don't have a reputation you're not part of a guild you're not communicating (laughs) not actually invested in the game you're not invested in your character you're just you know going and getting loot as fast as you can it's it's like the microwave dinner of (laughs) online game (laughs) correct so i mean we want to take it back to the days where you know you plan your sessions out in advance um, you play with your friends, your family, your kids, your spouse, your significant other. Um, you play with those people who are closest to you because that's your passion. Gaming is your passion. If you've only got five or ten minutes to play, this is not going to be the game for you because there's plenty of other games out there where you – if you've only got ten minutes, 
and I love a lot of these games. Star Wars The Old Republic is a great example of a game where it's an amazing game to play. It's an amazing single-player experience with some MMO trappings and, you know, kind of worked into it. But you can sit down and play that game for 10 minutes and then walk away and no problem. You don't need to plan anything out. And it's great and it's fun, but that's not what we're doing. We're doing something that is definitely for people who plan their sessions out in advance and want to have that classic D&D experience melded with the old school uh, MMORPG experience. That's actually something I think that you discussed really well on your website because you call this gaming experience a hobby. And you're really encouraging the people who are interested in the in the game to, to play it as a hobby and not just kind of uh, – you know, a, a passing interest, you know, a couple minutes here and there. It's something that you really want your, your fans to commit to um, quite a bit. And I think that's really an interesting way to look about it um, yeah, I think- rather than making a grab for, you know, it, it seems like you guys are very realistic in knowing what your audience is and what your audience wants rather than going out and trying to grab, you know, 10,000 players, 20, 30,000 players, you guys want a good core group of players who are going to make this a hobby, like back in the day when we were playing EverQuest, um, where we would log on and play with the same five people every single night for six hours or whatnot, because we were going to go through uh, you know, dungeon after dungeon, like Howling Stones or whatnot, and right. um, you know, it, it was a hobby back then, back in the early 2000s. Um, and people really, you know, generally only committed to one game. Well, there was really only a couple games that you could really compare at that time. But, um, yeah, I like that you guys are uh, talking about it as a hobby. We've actually – and, you know, you, you struck on a couple of things that you just said. Um, we've actually had some some critics who have said, well, it seems like you guys are kind of unfairly, you know, pigeonholing this, this, this community of gamers into being a game that's only for those people who are willing to, to group up with a static group of people. Um, and, and that's, it's mm-hmm. true to some degree because I definitely can say I was not one of those people who lacked for groups in EverQuest one. And I played a Ranger back in the times when Rangers <laughs> were one of the most hated classes of all. Uh. Because no one knew how to play a Ranger. And I always had groups because I was a good ranger and i had it but more importantly than that i was not afraid to be social mm-hmm. so yep. if you put yourself out there and you're always talking to people and you're always looking for groups you will find groups the only people who don't find groups are the people who want to sit in the corner and be antisocial and, and cry that it's not coming to them and that's always going to be the case so interestingly enough um one of the things and we can talk about this later on um we are designing something that is it's not an exactly original, but it's something that we're working on, which is called the Camps and Caravans system, which is uh, designed specifically to help those players who can't be on every single night. If you miss a couple of sessions, you miss a few sessions, it's not going to be a big deal. You'll still be able to, to pick up where you left off with your group. You'll basically be moving with the group as your group moves. So if you're in that static group, um, if they move on and, and, and travel three days while you're busy with your wife and kids and work and everything else, when you log back in, you'll be able to log back in where, where they're at. And that will help somewhat with the players who can't be there all the time and who have a more limited play schedule. But it's still going to be very, very important that you plan everything out. So in order to do that, you're going to have to make friends. You're going to have to be part of a community. You cannot be the antisocial single player guy 
who just expects to be able to log into the game, get a group instantly, and go out and do something instantly. We've said since day one that there will be overland content. I need to make sure that I phrase this purposely so I don't scare people away. There is lots and lots of content. The overland world is designed for three to four man teams. So you will quickly and easily be able to pick up with a couple of people and go out and do stuff outside of the cities and outposts. You'll be able to harvest and grinding your skills up and building your character up. And then over time, you will start to make friendships with more people and you'll build from three players to four players. You'll finally find a fifth and then you'll find a sixth. And once you find that sixth, that's the sweet spot because the dungeons are designed for six to eight players. The eight is really like a, you know, if you have eight people, you can do all of the dungeons. If you have six well played, you know, well skilled, well geared players, you can probably, you know, handle most of the dungeon content. But you'll build up those friendships over time, and then once you get to that six to eight players, you'll be able to start going out and doing these campaigns and following the quest lines, which are optional. But you know, there's a lot of storyline there. But uh, go out and do the dungeons and so on and so forth. It's definitely this is a game for players who um, gaming is not just something they do. Because it's a passing interest. It's definitely something for players who, like ourselves, we've been playing games 15, 20 years now. We've kind of never stopped playing games. Um, this is the game for those types of people who now, you know, I've got one of my, my oldest friends that I met in EverQuest 1 when I was living in, in Colorado. Um, we lived in the same state, an hour and a half from each other. And when I met them, it was just him and his wife. And now they've got two kids who are like, I think around... Uh, like 12 and 14, somewhere around there now. And they game with their kids, you know, they, they have, they have become a gaming family because they as a couple were gamers and then their kids were raised in that environment. And now they game together as a unit. And those are the people we're, we're targeting. We are not targeting the, the, the single serving kind of mm -hmm. crowd. Um, we're, we're definitely looking at the players who have devoted their lives to this pastime, so to speak. Excellent. Well, I think that's pretty cool because you touch on, you know, a very interesting experience that I had when I first uh, was kind of transitioning away from EverQuest back uh, around 2003. Um, I played EverQuest for a while, and obviously you know how social of a game that was. And, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of solo content with the exception of, you know, being the uh, the, the necromancer or a mage who could do some content. But I started playing World of Warcraft, and I remember going out into the world and starting to look for a group because I had some quests that I wanted to do. Somebody invited me to a group. We did the quest, and I was all ready to, you know, continue our adventure. And all of a sudden, they were just gone and out of the group. <laughs> yep. And this happened over and over and over again. And it turned into this weird, like, you know, it wasn't about making friendships. And you know, sitting down in the bottom of um, of a high keep hold, killing goblins for six hours, and you have nothing to do but you know make friends with the people you're killing the goblins with. It was all this like self serving. Get the quest done. Get the content done. Level up as fast as possible. And it was really left a sour taste in my mouth. So it's really kind of nice to see the effort to get back to the social aspect of what these games are about and touching on the Dungeons and Dragons aspect and whatnot. And that's really, you know, you're kind of hitting all the key points on what MMORPGs were really founded on in that sense. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you look at, I mean, obviously you guys are, are starting from a D and D campaign. You, you, 
that's that's the core. It's all about communication and the, the social engagement. And, um, you know, EverQuest was largely like that, being essentially based on D&D uh, as its roots and, you know, relying on a team, a group to to accomplish things that you just can't do on your own. You know, the epic quest lines and, and things like that. Um, and Jeff, you summed up my World of Warcraft experience very well. I think, you know, there, the, the last expansion that came out, Warlords of Draenor, is the first time I played World of Warcraft. And I hopped on and, you know, the, the storyline was, was cool. I could hop on and, and knock something out in 15 minutes by myself, you know, level up, all that. But at the same time, very much what, what you just said, Jeff, I would find a group for something. And it, it wasn't, hey, welcome to the group, yada, yada. It was... Okay, I've joined the group and apparently everyone's just running around killing all the mobs for this quest and then the group just dissolves when everyone's done and no one even said anything in the in the group. Um and you know the the group maybe lasted for 10 or 15 minutes and you know it's lacking that sort of social aspect that that uh you guys are are driving at with Saga of Lucemia. That's another reason that we've we've also um said since day one that zero quest hubs since we don't have levels in our game, we're working on a, a skill based character system. Um, I know Giovanni who is now joining us now late to the party, but he's here. <laughs> um, he designed um, most of the skills and, and the uh, archetypes and the things that we're working with in this game. And since we're not doing levels or anything like that, we're not doing quest hubs. There is no quest grind. So there's no reason to rush there's there's no reason to go out there and, and try to grind at all these quests because there are no quests if you don't want there to be. The quest lines that are there are all epic, multi-stage quest lines that are going to last weeks to months. And you don't have to do them if you don't want to. If you just want to go grind dungeons with your friends, that's what you can do. The players will be the ones determining the hot spots, the hot zones, the best dungeons, where they want to go. And obviously there is storyline that you can follow if you want to, um, but we've eliminated quest hubs. So when you run into a city, um, there's not going to be icons above the heads of the mob, of the mm. NPCs telling, telling you who to talk to. You're going to have to run around, hail people, and figure out who has quests to offer. You're going to have to have conversation skills to be able to progress down certain uh, conversation paths to be able to continue quest lines. Um, you'll have to have language. You'll need language uh, uh, masteries to be able to pursue certain quest lines. You'll need faction to pursue certain quest lines. So it's going to be about a time involvement and a, and a commitment to making that character more than just a, a character that's just about the gear. It's, it's You're actually investing yourself in that character to become part of the world, learn languages, earn faction, make yourself a part of the world, and then – as you find the quest lines, uh, we hope to make the quest lines engaging enough that players will want to pursue them. Um, but there are no quest hubs, so it's not going to be you're not going to run into a city and pick up 45 quests and then run out and and you know kill 50 of these and 10 of these and 15 of these. That's not going to happen. Uh, everything is based around epic storylines and quest lines. And interestingly enough, one of the things we've said since day one is. Where where do anytime you talk about a D and D campaign or 
a Dragonlance novel or a Forgotten Realms novel, where do the adventurers always start? At the tavern. At the tavern. So we've said since day one, the tavern for us is the place where all things start. So we're not doing an, an a, a instant group finder. What we're doing is we have local bulletin boards that are inside the taverns. You're going to go to the tavern. You're going to put your name up on the board that you're looking for a group or that you're looking for more people to join your group. And while you're there waiting for people to fill those slots, you're going to be socializing with the other people. You're going to be role-playing. You're going to be showing off your armor. You're going to be sharing war stories. You're going to be bartering with people. Maybe you'll be selling your items, so on and so forth. But the adventures, you know, from the grouping standpoint, are always going to start in the taverns. Um, and because of that, it's, it's so community-oriented that – if you if you don't want to be a part of a community and you're not willing to talk to people, you're just not going to find anything to do. Yeah, and I, I think so, that's where the 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 niche aspect of it comes. Correct. You know, it, it's it's definitely a relatively small subset of the MMO community because so many people are used to the MMO world being you hop on you you do X to get Y to finish Z and you know log off for the night or whatever and instead of it being a social engagement that is also a game at the same time sort of deal. So uh, I actually have a question, if you don't, got, don't mind me uh, backtracking a couple moments. Sure. Um, so you were talking about how there's no quest hubs and you get to run around town and have conversations with the NPCs to kind of try to, to pull out the bits of information you need so that you know what kind of quests are available and how to pursue them or what to pursue specifically. So in that frame of mind, are you imagining this to be more like EverQuest style where you – you hail an NPC, they shoot out a paragraph of text at you, and you have to pick out a keyword and say, you know, what, you know, what dragon, and then you get more text or something. Or are you thinking it might progress more like, you know, Neverwinter Nights or Mass Effect, where you kind of have a, a conversation wheel, uh, or the Old Republic, where which was very similar to that as well. Um, we actually are looking at we're actually looking at blending the two of those together to some degree. Um, the the quest dialogue system that we're working with right now is very similar to the EverQuest 2 slash Neverwinter Nights slash um, like Neverwinter slash Star Wars Old Republic uh, in the sense that you will have conversation wheel uh, choices that pop up. But there will be other choices that are based upon your conversation skills. And then one of the things that we've been talking about since day one is having certain key phrases tied to um, – quest progression. So we aren't, I can't exactly answer that question completely because we're still working on the system, but we're looking at doing a hybrid between the two where the basic progression of quest lines will be tied to your skill related to say negotiation, communication. Charisma is going to play a huge role in your ability to progress conversations. Um, but we also are planning on having some sort of some form of system in where there's going to be key triggers that happen during the conversation where you can, you know, type in um, keywords and it will trigger something else along those uh, along those lines. One of the things that that I didn't really like about EverQuest was differentiating your character from someone else. It, you know, you, you could have, you know, if you right clicked on yourself, you could like write a little bio entry about your character or whatever, but that was the extent of the customization beyond what color armor you wear. Um, you know, I, I played a warrior as, as a main and, you know, if you're level 60 warrior, you have skill caps 
that max all at the same place that everyone else's do and your stats didn't actually matter that much because you know armor and buffs and things like that so a level 60 warrior was essentially interchangeable with any other level 60 warrior as long as their gear was you know close um in 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 caliber what i what i like about what you guys are doing is your character and their stats and their, you know, skill checks and all that make your character unique. It, you bring something potentially, uh, to the, to the group that not just anyone else, even of the same, you know, necessarily the same archetype can do because you're, you're specializing based on your stats. And so if you have higher charisma and higher, you know, speech craft or, or whatever the, the skill is called, you may be able to move a quest forward that someone, you know, that has played just as long and is geared similarly and, you know, plays the same archetype may not be able to do because they haven't specialized in those areas. If, if I understand what you're saying, that's exactly correct. And one of the things we're, we're looking at when we're designing the primary quest line, which is, is again, quests are hundred percent optional, but uh, there is a storyline to the game, which follows the, the book chapters that we've been publishing to date. Um, and we're expecting that to take 18 to 24 months for players to get through. And it's going to combine small group content to full group content to times two group content to times four group content. It will also incorporate factions, languages, and crafting. And something that's very important in that is that there are going to be certain components where you're going to have to have people in your group. And this, this applies to all of the dungeons, not just the primary storyline, where there are going to be sections of dungeons and quest lines that you just can't progress beyond unless someone in the group has the relevant skills. Um, just because you're on the quest line doesn't mean you get to go from point A to point B. You've got to have the, the skills. And if you've already taken all of these other skills, you might not be able to take that quest line to the next step. You might mm-hmm. need someone else in your group to do it for you. So that's going to be very important. And and I'm going to let Gio talk more about skills here in a minute to give him a chance to talk because otherwise I'll just go on all day. <laughs> um, but one of the things you touched on, which I think is very important to understand, is that because of the skill diversity, and this is one of the things that he and, and Nick have been working really hard on over the last year, basically. Um, if you could imagine a scenario where um, there are literally – an endless array of, of character types that you could play. But the example that I like to pull from is the ranger. Um, and in my mind, there are easily a dozen types of rangers that you could play. Um, you could be a, a an archery-based ranger. You could be a two-wield, a, a dual short sword wielding ranger. You could be a pet ranger. You could be a ranger who specializes in tracking and being the off tank. You could be the ranger who specializes in making poultresses and and healing bandages. And you could be the the quote unquote healer for your group because we're not, you know, we don't have healing in the traditional sense. We're working on. Um, all of healing will be done out of combat. There will be some in-combat healing related to bandages and potions and the like. Um, and the ranger will be one of those classes who creates potions and bandages um, that are a, a, you know, of a higher quality. So rangers can very well be the healing class over the early stages in the game until your scholars start finding relics that allow them to cast traditional heals that are magic-based. So that's another type of ranger that, that could be played. Um, you could be a ranger who chooses to specifically rely on, you know, hide in the shadows and sneaking abilities and, and using a two handed staff. I mean, there are literally a, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 different types of rangers um, that you could be 
based upon the skill choices that you choose from from the beginning when you create your character. Um, so, you know, in that same sense, you know, you're looking at fighters that you were talking about fighters. Um, you know, it's one of those scenarios where there could be 20 or 30 different ways that you could play a fighter and every single one is going to have an important role. Utility is going to play a huge, huge role in this. Um, I'm actually going to um, turn that over to Gio now that he's here and let him talk a little bit more about skills and progressions and, and how that all works um, because he's been working on that far more than I have. I mean, I have the vision in my head, but he's been one working with Nick. So I'll let you pick up wherever you want to pick up on that, Gio. All right, so I had to miss a couple of minutes here before you started talking. I did come in and hear that, um, you know, you're talking about the different types of rangers due to mastery selection. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of ways to customize your character. Um, one thing we've tried to do is uh, provide a lot of utility to each of the masteries. Um, obviously, there will be obvious choices for, you know, like Eric said, that he plays a warrior. so. Um, when you're choosing your masteries in the beginning, you're going to want to pick out, um, if you're an adventurer, you get to pick two weapons. This would allow you to be like sword and shield, axe and shield, um, two-handed sword and a bow. Um, so that would allow you to create that ranger. Um, you know, you want to do swords, you can dual wield those swords. Um, you know, you can do one hand sword and hold a torch, um, or and then you can pick up a second weapon as a bow that would allow you to play that typical ranger you're thinking of you know maybe like aragorn from lord of the rings uh people want to be okay i'm going to dual wield swords and i'm going to have a bow you can do that with the adventurer archetype um so you know at that point you've picked your weapons and then it's what type of warrior do i want to be um you know, you're going to think about your stats, which play into how high you can go in the uh, related masteries. Um, the masteries all have a defining statistic that they're governed by. Um, at 20 of a stat, you'll be able to progress to 100 of that mastery uh, and then a certain percentage less as uh, your stats are lowered. Um, so you'll get to pick one stat that you're amazing at another stat that you're a slightly less good at and another stat that you're a little bit less good than the second one. Um, from that point, you'll have a little bit of room to play with your stats to bring up some things. Maybe if you see a line that you want to take, uh, you're a warrior, you're probably not going to have high intelligence or perception, but if you wanted to pick something that gives you a little bit extra utility, you have a, a few points to play with, you know, so you could take constitution strength, uh, dexterity, and you would be a high health, uh, high strength, uh, very dexterous character. Um, but, you know, maybe you say, well, at some point I want to get into being able to, you know, read hieroglyphics, archaeology, uh, using relics. So at that point, you'd say, okay, I want to be a good fighter, but maybe I'm going to have to sacrifice one of these stats to take intelligence um, or perception. I want to be a warrior who has tracking. So I want to have high perception. I want to tame animals. Uh, we're also using perception to kind of simulate this, uh, this like natural connection to, between the person and the animal. Um, you know, so there's things that you can do. You could be a standard cookie cutter, whatever you want to be, but then 
you know, due to the mastery selection and how varied they are, you would be able to to really throw something in there that would make you valuable. Maybe you're not going to be the best in the world at it. Um, you know, if you want to be a fighter who pickpockets, uh, a fighter who, um, you know, messes with herbs and creates salves for people, uh, you can do that. Um, you know, so there's a lot of ways that you can make yourself different. Um, without really costing you what you're actually good at. Um, we do want specialized roles, but there's, there's room for these supplemental lines that you'll be able to take and still offer something to a party, um, you know, that maybe somebody else doesn't. Sure. Uh, we just want everyone to have utility. Um, you know, there, there is going to be those people who wanted to play healers. Like Tim had said, there's really not going to be a whole lot of healing going on, not in the traditional sense. Um, what I've tried to do is create these, these packs of masteries that are very highly supportive. Um, things like tactics or any of the musical or performance masteries. If you want to be a dancer, if you want to be a bard, um, you know, there's there's things that you can do there that are very heavily in um, supporting your allies, debuffing enemies, mesmerizing enemies, putting them to sleep. Um, yes, you'll be able to have a dancer. We have a performance mastery, um, which is typically it's somewhat similar to if you were to play a musical instrument. They would play off of each other. You're not going to run into too much collision there. But if you wanted to be a dancer and not a bard, um, you can do that. If you wanted to put them both together, you would have a, a lot of utility there and, um, you know, mesmerizing and stunning and things like that to make sure that the enemies are locked down for the rest of your teammates to um, to take over. So, you know, if you wanted to be heavily into combat, you can do that. Uh, you can be heavy into support. It's it's really um, why we also wanted to have the eight man group system so that, you know, you you have that typical like four five, six people in other MMOs. Um, we feel like that leaves a lot of people out, especially in a game that we're making where somebody is not going to be the best DPS. Um, you know, you could have four really high DPS people. Uh, one tank, you know, so that's five people. Your your group would be filled in, in World of Warcraft. But now we have three extra slots where you can say, all right, this person has a really weird build, but we don't know, you know, how it's going to work out for us. Maybe we can use them. Uh, we need an archaeologist to get past this one wing of the dungeon. He's, he may not help out too much in the actual fighting, but you're not going to be able to progress without some of those specialized utility classes. So no matter what you want to do, we really want to make sure that there's a spot for you. Um, as weird a build as you want to make, we want <laughs> there to be a spot for you. And I think um, something that I want to touch on really quick um, is that the something we're going we're gonna to be showing in videos later on this year, which we've talked about in previous uh, Q&As, is the the reliance on interdependency. And I kind of touched on that a little bit before how just because you're on a quest doesn't mean you'll be able to progress that quest to the next stage. Um, we're looking at dungeons. Every single dungeon we're designing has multiple wings. Um, some of those wings are purely for adventuring classes. Other wings are related to archaeologists and scholars. So you're going to need the ability to read runes and bypass magical traps 
and unlock magical doors to be able to actually get through that section of the dungeon. And the other side of the dungeon will be based on mechanical uh, thievery. So if you don't have a good thief with you or someone who has the mechanical ability to bypass traps, there will also be other sections like doorways that you can't get past unless you have someone who has a, a character with enough strength to literally bash the way through the door. Um, so there's there's you know a really big emphasis on utility and interdependency in the game. So I guess just sort of a follow up question to to what you just said, Tim. Um, if if I've got you know a group of seven or eight people and we go to a dungeon, I know that it's going to be part of the adventure is getting there, right? It's going to take some time to to travel and we're going to see and experience a lot of stuff on the way to the dungeon. If you even know where the dungeon is right. Um, Once we get there, we may not know every, everything that's required to, to do everything. And so it it may take multiple runs, you know, back to town. Hey, you know, we've been here. We need a thief or. And someone actually asked me um, about two weeks ago, they said, what happens if my guild spends or my group or my guild spends three months going overland through our caravan and through our camps. And we get to the dungeon and we, we find out that we're there. And now all of a sudden we're too low level to do what, to do anything in the dungeon. And I said, well, that's the luck of the draw. <laughs> I guess you'll have to go back and, and, and find somewhere else to go adventure until you're high enough to, to figure this out. And eventually there will be, you know, in a year, everyone will have built a wiki. It's mm. not like we can keep this under wraps forever. Unfortunately. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. So at some point, even though we're telling people from day one, no mini maps, um, you know, no maps at all, no quests you know, icons over people's heads, no glowing trails telling you where to go. Um, there's no direction. I mean, what we've said is that, you know, for example, you're going to go to an NPC. Let's let's say you're in Fingless Mirror and, and you're following the primary quest line. And, and he says something along the lines of, you know, well, you need to track down Killian the Ranger. Um, the last I heard, he was on the eaves of the Elamar Forest, northwest of... Uh, foreign mirror well you're gonna to have to look at the world map and go where the hell is foreign mirror and you're gonna look at the world map and go okay there's foreign mirror now how do i get there from fingless mirror because you have no map other than the world map so now it's up to you and your group to figure out how do i get to foreign mirror and of course there's roads in the game and there's signposts and everything else but you still got to actually figure out how to get there and then when you get there now you got to figure out well where exactly northwest of foreign mirror is he mm-hmm. so when you get to foreign mirror then you have to ask the the npcs and other players and find out does anyone know where we can find this guy and if you're in the earliest stages of the game before there's a wiki um you know it's going to be we need a tracker you can actually track this guy. And then we need someone who's going to be able to actually, okay, decipher the clues that we're getting from this NPC here. So you get to foreign mirror and the bartender says, Oh yeah, I know Killian. The last I heard of him, he was in a, a, a cabin. He's got a cabin, you know, Northwest of here, three days. Uh, it's, it's, it's North of the fork in the road. And you'll look for the lion head cliff face. 
well, that's a pretty vague hint. <laughs> You're, you as players are going to have to go out and figure out where is the cliff that looks like a lion's head. And then, you know, you'll need, you know, you'll have to figure out and then you find the cabin. He might not be there when you get to the cabin. And that's when your tracker comes into play because now your tracker can go, okay, is there any recent sign of this guy? And maybe your tracker will be able to find that, you know, there's some tracks that look like they're about a week's old, a week old and they lead off to the, to the east. And so you follow the tracks and eventually you find him because he's been out on a hunting, you know, he's out checking his traps and and that's how you find the npc um that's about as as you know direct as the as the directions are going to be it's going to be up to the players to actually go out there and find where this this stuff is so Um, so my question just kind of based on the example you're using right now is killian not at his hut because it's kind of scripted that way or is it because the npcs are actually kind of have like their their daily schedule and or, or whatnot um, we're kind of crossing the bridge. We know that we're going to have some NPCs that are scripted, and then there's other NPCs that are going to have uh, daily activities. Um, one of the things we've said since day one, and I don't think I'm giving too much away by saying this, um, we have a character we're calling the Wandering Hermit. Um, he is basically – he's shown up in um, – John actually, John Gus has written several storylines, uh, blog posts for this – their standalone stories that we're publishing at the blog. I haven't done one in a couple of months, um, but they're about this character that everyone just knows as the Wandering Hermit, and he pops up in lore and, and histories, and people talk about it in the bars, and he's been around for hundreds of years, and people just randomly see him. He's like this – you know just old man who wanders around the world. And we've said since day one that we want him to be an actual character that wanders the world. And he's never going to be just in one zone. He's going to wander across the world and you will find him in different zones at different times throughout the year. And depending on where he's at, he'll offer different quest lines and, and so on and so forth. So we're, we're looking at, obviously we have to be careful about, you know, Time commitment is a big thing. How much can we realistically program in? Scripting takes a lot of effort. Um, so we're going to cross those bridges as we can, but we're trying to kind of you know, hold the line between um, lots and lots of uh, you know, free-forming, flexibility, scripted kind of stuff, and then some stuff that is you know, here's just a, a typical daily pattern for this NPC, and he wanders from here to here to here over the course of you know, a seven-hour day or something. So – We'll um, see how that all pans out. That's very cool. So as far as travel is concerned, right? I assume or – well, okay. I'll allow you to fill me in because I'm, I'm sure. ignorant on this. But if I create um, you know, a character, is there one starting city? Do you start in different yes. places? No, there's one starting city. Everyone's going to start the, – the, the pre-alpha – that we're calling right now is the pre-alpha is a is a it's a it's a it's an overland zone and a dungeon eventually this will become the free trial that players can download from the website to play to sink their teeth into it and then if they decide that they want to continue the game they pick up a copy pay a subscription fee and they can actually go from that zone to the actual starting zone um so the starting city is is Whitehall. You can see it on the map. Um, everyone's going to start at the same place. Okay, gotcha. And then from there, you know, you can head to the tavern or Correct. find find things be, out around town. There's going to be um, a primary storyline that players can follow. 
Um, there's going to be branches for the adventurers, branches for the scholars, and then we're planning on also incorporating like a primary city quest line for each city that you go to, each city and outpost. Um, we're also toying around with the idea of guilds. Um, we don't know exactly what format it's going to take yet. Again, this is time-wise. Uh, we'd like to see some sort of some form of guilds like the Scholar Guild and the Adventurer's Guild, but uh, we'll be tying those into the Scholar and Adventurer um, quest lines. But yeah, everyone will start off in the same place. And then from there, you'll be going off. Depending on if you're a Scholar or Adventurer, you'll have some stuff that you do. Everything kind of meanders in the sense that... Uh, the primary storyline is going to take you in a very – this is the only section of the game where it's a on-the-rails section. And this is why we're very careful about reminding people that the storyline is 100% optional. You do not need to play the storyline to skill up your character and go off and do dungeons and have fun in the world. Um, you can do whatever you want. Um, but if you want to pursue the main storyline, it is there. It will take you on a, a very linear path um, to rediscovering the Book of Knowledge and bringing magic back to the realm. And it's going to take you across the world through multiple dungeons. It'll have you get involved in crafting um, factions, language skills, so on and so forth. Um, so you know, it just depends on how involved in the world a player wants to be. Uh, if, a, if all a player wants to do is just go out and form up with their friends and go off and do dungeons – Great that you can do that. It's absolutely viable. You'll find good gear. You'll follow the lore of the dungeons. There is lore related to most of the dungeons. Um, you'll be able to be involved in the world. You'll be able to role play, hang out in the cities and so on and so forth. But you'll obviously be missing out on a huge section of the lore that is behind the game. Hmm. Okay. So let's say, uh, you know, we, we start a, a group and we're going to head out to, you know, a dungeon that we heard of. We don't know exactly where it is or whatever, but we're going to head that way. I know that every um, expedition is going to be a significant time investment, um, as you know, you have detailed already. But if we all, you know, say, look, we can get on Thursday night, but, you know, I've only got an hour and a half and you've gotten, you know, two hours or whatever. Can, will the, will you be able to stop as long as you're not like actively in a dungeon and camp wherever, Along that's, the path, or that's kind of where the camps and caravan system come into play. Um, we expect players to prepare for expeditions before they leave a city. So um, it's kind of one of the scenarios where you probably won't want to leave the city on an expedition if you've only got an hour and a half to two hours to play mm. um, because of the fact that you're going to want to make sure that you've got enough supplies first and foremost and that you can get far enough along to make it worth your time. Um, that being said, if you've only got an hour and a half to play when you're part of a caravan and there will be limitations on this, uh, we have to obviously put some limitations on there so we don't have players abusing the system. But the obvious goal is that let's say Friday night, everyone has plenty of time to play. So you get on, you've spent the last, um, like say the last 10 sessions, um, you know, everybody's got different schedules. So you've all been running around in the city doing your different things. You've been, you've been working on your crafting. You've been gathering hides and, and, and plate, you know, pieces of plate mail and, you know, carpentry, you know, extra carpentry supplies, meat uh, for, for jerky. And you've been preparing your caravan. You've got your 
map, excuse me, your, your pack mules are ready, your mounts are ready, your wagons ready, everything's supplied, you're ready to go out on the adventure. That's what you've been doing as you've all had different schedules for the last week. But this Friday, you're going to take off with the caravan. And so you go. That's what you do. When you get to the end of that session, you set up a camp. Um, and everyone is in that caravan at this point. Now, let's say the goal is for Saturday night, you also want to meet up and go and continue on the journey towards wherever it is that you're heading. Maybe you, Eric, only have an hour to play that night, but everybody else has the full three or four hours. You can follow, you can log on, have fun with the group, help them adventure and work their way along the path. But at some point, you're going to have to log out. Cool. You're part of the caravan. You log out. You can't log back in until next Wednesday. The group, meanwhile, plays again on Sunday night, and then they play one more time on Tuesday night. They move the caravan, you know, one more zone over or a couple of zones over. When you log back in the next time, you'll pop up wherever their caravan and camp is set up during that next – wherever that is that they've set up during your next session. Obviously, there will be a limitation in place. You won't be able to like log out for three weeks and come back and, and suddenly find yourself – having skipped you know, a world's worth of, of travel time. Um, but that's the basic gist is we want players to know that they can go have a life. You know, we're not asking you to be logged into the game every single night just to have fun. Um, the camp and caravan system is, is, is there so that players who have a life, who have kids, who have families, who need to log out for three or four nights can still keep up with their group even if they can't be there every single session, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that's... Uh perfect solution for you know me i have three kids and <laughs> pretty much everyone on our developer team i mean giovanni's got two kids i'm married my wife doesn't play um john just had a baby my brother's having a baby really soon i think um uh, joseph just had a baby in like december um alex just got married i mean everybody in the team pretty much is family people so yeah i mean we're we we are not no life gamers. We are gamers with friends and families and other commitments. So, um, yeah, we understand that. If you don't mind me, kind of changing paces a little bit. Um, sure. I'm kind of curious about uh, combat and how that's going to yep. play out a little bit. Um, I've watched a bunch of the videos on your YouTube channel, um, and my God, you guys have some beautiful landscapes. Uh, I love your dungeon preview. I think the camps and caravans looks amazing. I mean, everything is phenomenal. The character models are great. Um, but I don't think I came across anything about the combat. So I'm curious what your philosophy is on the combat. Is it going to be somewhat resembling EverQuest or WoW style where you kind of click on an enemy and auto attack them with the uh, occasional ability thrown in? Or are you going to go for something a little bit more, I don't know, next gen is the right term that I'm looking for, but like Terra Online had a very action-based combat system that I thought was pretty interesting um, more than just kind of auto attack. So what, do you, what are your guys' thoughts I know, on uh, um, combat? I know Giovanni's got to leave here soon for a meeting, but um, he and I have had some really good conversations since day one on this. And one of the things we've said since day one is that we don't want any skill bloat. So if you think of EverQuest 2, um, if you're a high-end character there, you've got like 10 skill bars. Um, no, that's not going to exist in our game. Did uh, either of you play Eric or Jeff? Did you play Vanguard? Very, very briefly. No, I did not. So we're looking for the EverQuest 1 slash Vanguard style of combat. 
Um, we're, we're limiting the hot bar to uh, nine. I think, isn't that what was chosen right now, Giovanni, is nine it's abilities? Somewhere so, between so. nine and 12, uh, and you'll be able to swap out sets of abilities kind of a la Wildstar, where, you know, you'll have, uh, I want to be able to do these things for this encounter uh, out of combat. You'll be able to switch out kind of like a deck of cards, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but combat will be very reactive. That's what we're going for a little bit slower. Uh, you'll see enemies, you know, setting up uh, for things. No giant red glaring telegraphs on the ground as other games have really started to do. But very, very much you'll have um, reactive abilities. You're going to want to be able to, you know, jump in the way of something and block it or stun an enemy and keep them from doing certain things. Yes, counterspelling, um, you know, a lot of different ways to save your teammates, uh, interrupt the enemies. Uh, so sl a little bit slower combat, nothing like Terra. Uh, I have played that. I've played a, a bunch of other games that have gone very action combat. We're shying away from that. There will be an auto attack. Um, really, if you want to kind of think of it as, you know, I kind of think of it a little bit more along the lines of like a strategy game, but it's not going to be turn-based. It'll be happening in real time. And um, you'll have a lot of abilities that you'll want to be able to throw down at certain times. Uh, there's no magic points. Everything will pretty much be based on cooldowns or charges. So um, you'll want to save certain abilities for, you know, clinch decisions. Other abilities you'll be able to use on a, on a pretty standard rotation. But, you know, it's going to be very much like, oh, you know, this, this giant boss is about to kill my entire party. What do I have that can either interrupt that? Or, um, you know, save one of my party members who has drawn aggro. Um, yeah, uh, we're, we're looking at the dual targeting system that Vanguard had. You'll have a defensive target and an offensive target. So you won't, you know, if you just want to have your, your defensive target on the tank, any, um, you know, abilities that you have that would bolster your allies could run off of the tank without you having to switch targets between the, the enemy and uh, your teammates. So. You know, if you are a utility character, you'll still be able to sit there and, you know, do some damage, but, um, you know, also have your targets lined up uh, defensively to be able to use your your abilities uh, on your on your party members easily. The one thing I think that's very important to understand is that at no time, at no point in any combat scenario, will you know whether or not that mob is a mob meant for two or three people or a mob meant for six players or a mob meant for two groups or a mob meant for four groups. You will not know until you attack it and find out how hard it hits you. <laughs> you, will not, you will not know whether or not it does a knockback or a stun or an AOE. If it does an AOE, there's not going to be any glowing reticles on the ground. Like Geo said, you're not going to know, is it, a, is it a frontal? Is it a full 360? Is it, who knows? You're going to have to go into combat, do multiple tries until you figure it out. Um, when you go into a combat scenario, every, every character, regardless of, because everyone can pick up every skill in the game, theoretically. If you find all of the abilities in the game, you can theoretically pick them all up. But everyone has a primary role to play. You have a primary stat and a primary series of masteries, which means your primary role is going to be refined down to the, the abilities that are within those masteries. So if you've chosen to be a tank, 
then your primary abilities are within that tank line. Now, maybe you are a um, you know, two-handed sword tank. You're not about taking damage. You're about dealing damage. Um, so that's your primary nine or 12 abilities are related to that. But the point is, is that when you are in a combat scenario, you'll have multiple sets between your primary, secondary, and tertiary uh, masteries. But you're primarily going to be sticking to those primary nine or 12 abilities on your hotbar, just like in EverQuest 1. You, you pick your nine abilities, and that's what, you're, that's what you go with. And maybe you switch those out depending on encounters. You switch out one or two of those abilities. But for the most part, you know that's what you run with. Gotcha. Um, so it's a it's a cross between I would say cross between like EverQuest and, and Vanguard. Yeah, one of the things if you if you played a monk in original EverQuest and mm-hmm. you you were the the gimp that found out what the mob did, uh, oftentimes you know you would try to feign death or whatever to get aggro off, but oftentimes the monk was the sacrificial lamb that sort of explored what the monster did at least initially. So. It, um, it, which brings me to death. If, if you die in Saga of Leucemia, what, what are we talking about for penalties or? There is no XP loss. We've known that from day one. We don't want to punish people that, that, that much. There's um, no XP. We should just say that. Correct. There's just no XP. So there's no XP loss. Sure. You, you will, however, um, there are, when you die, everything stays in your corpse. So if you die, you have to make a corpse run. And if your whole group dies, you're going to need to have backup gear stashed at the most recent outpost you were at. And because this is important, very important, banks are local, not global. Uh-huh. So when you are traveling, your caravan is very important because your caravan is the supply run for you. So that's got your backup gear. Maybe it's even got your primary gear as you're moving from city to city across the realm. And maybe you want to keep stashes in different outposts across the world. Um, but that's very important to understand is that markets and banks um, are, are local, not global. So you'll want to take your gear with you as you go. So yeah, when you die, you will leave your, your items on your corpse. You'll have to make corpse runs. So outposts being, you know, are they, are they at regular locations or, uh, do you establish an outpost? How does the outpost mechanism? No, the outposts will will be um, we will we will be the ones putting the outposts in. Um, we know from starts there there are six cities in the realm um, to start with, and we will be putting outposts um, throughout the realm in 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 strategic places. Um, from we've said from day one, we don't have any plans for a city recall button so uh, you will have bind points you'll be able to bind in these city or outpost sessions Um, but uh, your only recall is going to be related to we will have a a sort of a camp slash caravan related uh, recall which is um, not really so much a recall button it's just when you log into the game and your group has moved on beyond you, you'll be able to log into wherever they're at. Ah, gotcha. But above and beyond that, there is no recall back to anywhere button. So uh, you've got to rely on finding outposts that are close to where it is that you're going to be going to adventure. Because if you die, and if your group wipes, uh, that's where you're going to be respawning from is back at the outposts. Gotcha. And then you back up equipment, whatever, fight back to where you died. and. Yep. recover everything okay well gentlemen we're at about an hour so we should wrap up for this episode 
If folks want more information, they can head over to sagaofleucemia.com. They can also follow on Twitter, at Saga of Leucemia, and we'll put that info in the show notes as well. As always, thanks for listening to the Citizens of Tech. We'll be posting a second episode based around our interview with Tim and Giovanni in the near future. And as stated at the top of the show, we will return to our traditional 